presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the Halloween 2006 AV Podcast. In this week's Movies and Games Edition, we review Family Guy Season 5 Region 2 DVD and The Breakup on HD DVD. The AV Player Review Team discuss the best Halloween DVDs to spin up for scares this year. Plus, Ian Collin and Seth Gecko are here with the latest games news. And we have three new competitions to win a selection of great DVDs. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And we start this week's DVD news with the release of World Trade Center, the commemorative edition on Region 1 DVD from the 12th of December. The film stars Nicolas Cage, Michael Penna and Maria Bello and follows the true story of two policemen trapped in the rubble on September 11th, 2001. There'll be a single disc edition at $29.99 and a two disc commemorative edition at $33.99. Not only that, but the HD DVD and Blu ray editions are also coming out on the same day as well. The commemorative edition, which will retail for $40 on either format, will have two discs the first one featuring the film and the second one featuring all the extras in high definition. The extras will be featuring things such as the making of the movie, common sacrifices, building Ground Zero, and a QA with Oliver Stone. Staying with Nicolas Cage for a second, it's also been announced that The Wicker Man is coming out on the 19th of December on Region 1 as well. This particular disc is going to have two versions of the movie, with the standard theatrical cut on one side and an unrated version on the other side with an alternate end sequence not shown in the theatres. Unfortunately, other than it having a commentary track and the trailer on the disc, there are no other extras announced for this title. However, the movie will have an English Dolby Digital 5.1 soundtrack and the obligatory subtitles. And staying with the States, Warner Home Video have announced the release of Smallville, the complete fifth season, on the 28th of November 2006 on HD DVD. The episodes will be spread across five discs and presented in 1080p, 185-1 widescreen, with a Dolby Digital Plus 5.1 soundtrack. There'll also be some extras on there, including an HD-exclusive special feature, in-programme experience, behind-the-story featurettes, and the 100th episode making of a milestone. M. Night Shyamalan fans will be looking forward to Lady in the Water, which has been released on the 19th of December this year. It will be out on HD DVD as well as Blu-ray. The HD will be at a DVD combo format, with the HD side having a Dolby True HD soundtrack, whereas the Blu-ray will only have a Dolby Digital 5.1 EX soundtrack. Both of the releases will have the same extras, which include Lady in the Water, A Bedtime Story, a six-part documentary, additional scenes, and a gag reel. So, Seth, it seems a little bit unusual that the PR machine hasn't really been moving behind this title as as it did with the other M. Shyamalan films. So what is this one about? This movie stars Paul Giamatti as a, a caretaker of a building who discovers a young woman who, that lives in the swimming pool of the complex that he uh, takes care of. Now, unfortunately, it probably hasn't had much hype because the re- general reaction to this movie has been pretty lukewarm, no pun intended. 
I think the, the, the beginning uh, of Sh the backlash against Shyamalan is, is very much apparent with this particular movie. Um, the Village was a, a, a disappointment for a lot of people, and I think that that's a, a continuation of that theme. And finally, for Region 2 DVD fans, MGM Home Entertainment and 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment bring you the best James Bond offer there's been for a while. A buy one, get one free on all the 20 previous Bond films in the James Bond Ultimate Collection. The discs normally retail at $16.99 each. But of course, in the buy one, get one free, you get two. And that's your DVD news for this week. You're listening to the AV Podcast. Oh, worth it. Totally worth it. This week's DVD Reviews. Our first review this week is Family Guy Season 5 on Region 2 DVD. The three-disc box set is released on the 30th of October this year from 20th Century Fox. In my opinion, Family Guy is the crudest, rudest, and possibly the funniest cartoon family series on TV today. If you're thinking of The Simpsons, then you'd be on the right track as long as you take out all of the family humour and shove in some crass entertaining and downright filthy lines. To me, the whole pool of the, the series is Brian the Family Dog and the baby genius Stewie, who wants nothing more than world domination. And certainly Stewie comes across as being certainly camp. Season 5 takes off from where Season 4 left off, although Season 5 to me seems a lot more mature in its humour and a lot more confident in its execution. The first episode is entitled Brian Goes Back to College and sees Brian want to achieve his dream of graduating from college. But in the end, the moral of the story, which was try as hard as you can and if you fail, well at least you've tried, was given a big two fingers up by the rest of the characters. Looking through the rest of the season, there are some absolute gems of episodes in there and my favourite was Petergeist, which was a blatant rip-off of Spielberg's Poltergeist. So Seth, you've also seen season five of Family Guy, what did you think? Well I'm the same as you, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Family Guy. Um, it's, it, it is, as you say, a, a much ruder, much more adult version of The Simpsons for, for one of a better parallel. The only parallel, really, though, is that they're animated families. Beyond that, it, it, it's very diverse. I really enjoyed the episode PTV, where you, at the beginning of the episode, you've got the homage to uh, the Naked Gun or poli and and or Police Squad, the se the series. Um, it's just so so well done. Um, and it shows that the Family Guy series doesn't share the same moral standards, say, as The Simpsons, um, whereas it breaks virtually every code, uh, good taste taboo that you can actually uh, mention without totally going uh, over the line of tastelessness um, you know, take the ca there's you know several characters such as the, the sort of the dirty old man character that lit leches after um, Chris um, they don't show anything it's all very much implied and you know exactly where they're going with it, um, it, it it's definitely uh, much more adult than I think um, a lot of people expect. I, I remember seeing it uh, on a Sunday afternoon on Sky and thinking, "How are they getting away with this?" So, um, it, it, it's if you if you're expecting it to be a kids' cartoon, you have so got the wrong show. Yeah, totally. And um, one thing I wanted to mention as well was that after season three, this show was actually cancelled by Fox, and um, due to fan pressure through the internet and other other means, 
they actually came back with with season four last year. So that's quite a turnaround in fortunes for the series. Absolutely. I, I you know you just saying that with the first episode of season four was um, the incredibly long list sketch where they mentioned all the other um, shows that have been cancelled and right at the end of it they said yeah well if those get shows get cancelled we stand a chance of coming back you know it actually plays up to sort of the fan base very knowingly um, and I would actually argue that season four and definitely season five have actually cranked up the um, the, the, the humor in terms of the uh, adultness and the maturity of the the, um, the jokes some of them are getting really close to the mark um, which isn't a bad thing but it, it does show a complete leap and bound from say season three where you had the Dukes of Hazard episode um, to you know PTV and the censorship uh, of uh, Peter's TV show so moving on to how the discs look, and I span all three discs on both my systems at home. The first one is a projection-based system which runs at 720p, and the picture quality was outstanding for DVD. There was no sign of any edge enhancement, and certainly none of the compression issues that are usually prevalent on the format. On my second system, I've got a 32-inch CRT TV, and as you can expect, the print looked extremely pristine, with no signs of any artefacts whatsoever. Soundwise, with this being an animated TV series, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the soundtrack wouldn't get any 5.1 treatment. Well, you're wrong. And to be honest, and the soundtrack has a nice full dynamic sound with some great bottom end extension where it's needed. So to wrap up, Family Guy Season 5, out in Region 2, 30th October. It gets two thumbs up from me. I don't know about you, Seth. Uh, I, I'm a complete Family Guy fan, so yep, I have to give it the, the, the thumbs up totally um, it's incredibly funny it's incredibly crass and just you know you're going to enjoy this if you're a fan of the show so all in all the overall score for this one is 8 out of 10 go away fat man this week's HD DVD review well this week's HD DVD is The Breakup starring Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston or The Anti-Brangelina for want of a better description it's a comedy set in uh, New York which sees the two principal characters meeting up at a ball game, dating, and then doing what every other couple does under the world, arguing like hell and breaking up eventually. Of course, this being a comedy, it tends to be slightly maxed up in terms of um, playing to the audience. All the fights are things that you can identify with but are cranked up deliberately, so it makes you laugh. The problem is, for me, it didn't. It's not that it isn't funny, it just is wide of the mark for me. It's not my sense of humour. However, the one thing I did like most about the movie was the fact that uh, Vince Vaughn is uh, joined with by John Favreau, who, as everyone should know, were the people behind Swingers, which is uh, indeed a very much a cult classic movie. I'm sure you're a fan as well, Phil. Oh yeah, totally, and I'm a big Vince Vaughn fan. Well, Vince Vaughn, it, for me, works in, in, in small doses. Um, Going back to the Brangelina reference, in uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, he had a small role, and that was fine. But for him to actually you know, carry a whole movie um, with, unfortunately, Jennifer Aniston, it doesn't really work. I'm still of the opinion Jennifer Aniston is still you know, uh, not a big film star. She really is more a TV personality because of the huge stint on Friends. If you look at the movies that she has done, um, with the exception of The Good Girl, they've all been pretty poor. Again, Vince Vaughn works much better if he's part of a, a, a bigger ensemble cast and in small doses. Swingers being the exception to the rule to a degree, but then again, he was second fiddle to John Favreau's character. 
Well, this particular title is a combo disc, and I've completely ignored the DVD section, primarily because most people who are going to buy this title want it for the HD side. Now, the quality of the picture is very good, but it's not reference quality. It's certainly not up there with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Batman Begins. Having said that, there's nothing really to, that's that unlikable about it. It's certainly superior to a DVD from all intents and purposes, and doesn't really have any grain or any artifacting or halos that a DVD would suffer. The representation on an HD DVD is very pleasing. Audio-wise, it's nothing exciting, and I wouldn't expect it to be as it's a comedy. Most comedies are not requiring a dynamic soundtrack. They're very dialogue heavy based and this is no exception. However, the peripheral sound is reasonable for the movie that it is. It's very clear, it's very crisp, and nothing is ever drowned out by the surrounding channels. However, as stated, it is a comedy, it is very dialogue heavy, and if you're looking for a demo disc, this is not the one for you. One thing I will mention is that the disc came dislodged in transit, and I was worried that it wouldn't play back due to the scratches, but I needn't have worried. It played back fine without any cleaning or removing of the scratches that were present. So, Seth, rounding up, what kind of score will you give this one? Well, like I said, it's a comedy, it doesn't hit the mark for me, it will hit the mark for some other people, and like I say, Vince Vaughn works in small doses, not large. I'm only going to give this a 5 out of 10. And that's your DVD and HD DVD review for this week. The latest high-def news and reviews every week. Every week. Every week. You're listening to the AV Podcast. As always on the AV Podcast, we've got three fantastic competitions for you this week. First of all is Creature Comforts, the complete Season 2 on Region 2 DVD, which is released on November the 6th. So to win yourself a copy of this, just answer the following question. Which company used the Creature Comforts characters to advertise on television? And moving on to our second prize this week are two copies of Atomized on Region 2 DVD. So Seth, just give us a little bit of background about this movie. Atomized is based on a controversial novel that focuses on two half-brothers, Michael and Bruno, um, and particularly their disturbed sexuality and the relationships with other women. So to win yourself a copy of Atomized on Region 2 DVD, just answer the following question. Frank Patente, who stars in Atomized, also starred in a horror film set in the London Underground. What was that movie called? And finally, we got three copies of Little Britain, the interactive quiz on Region 2 DVD, which is hosted by Matt Lucas and David Williams. And to win yourself a copy of this, answer the following question. Little Britain has a very famous narrator. Can you tell us who it is? So to enter any of those competitions, all you have to do is head over to www.avforums.com forward slash competitions. And don't forget, we're also giving away a copy of Family Guy Season 5 on Region 2 DVD and Family Guy, the PS2 game. Again, if you want a chance of winning those, head over to www.avforums.com forward slash competitions. And congratulations to Alan Dyson from Farnborough, who won our Party of Five competition in Podcast 16. And your prize is on its way to you right now. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Hi, I'm Ian Collin. And I'm Seth Gecko. And this is this week's Gaming News and Reviews. Um, first story I picked up this week is another Hollywood director getting into the video games market. Uh, just a few weeks after Peter Jackson came in, giving Halo a little bit of loving. Um, the director Guillermo del Toro, who did Blade 2 and Hellboy, is also getting in on the act. 
um, starting off with a gaming version of his own film, Hellboy, which um, is quite exciting stuff, getting more Hollywood directors involved in games, and I'm a big fan of that. Well, as you said, with Peter Jackson joining the uh, gaming brigade, now Del Toro with a, a Hellboy game and so forth, this is going to be quite exciting for gamers because we're going to have much more interactivity from the movie studios getting involved with the gaming. Having said that, it's not the first time it's happened. We did have Steven Spielberg way back in the 80s when he released LucasArts' The Dig. It just seems good to me, though, that it's, I mean, it's not just a film tie-in that he's doing. He's actually working on original projects as well, which kind of bodes well that uh, these Hollywood directors are looking almost, well, giving a large amount of love into video games as a medium. Not well, just as a place to make some money. Well, like I say, you know, Spielberg did do the dig, and that was an original title. So I think he was the catalyst behind this movement. It just seems it's taken a long time for other people to get on get on board and uh, create stuff. Need a Spielberg comeback video game of Schindler's List. What a barrel of laughs that would be. Sorry, I'm thinking out loud now. An RPG of Schindler's List would be awesome. Anyway, moving on. It, it's sad news as well this week, where Lixang.com have been forced out of business due to multiple Sony lawsuits. Sony have claimed that Lixang infringed its trademarks and copyright by selling PSPs from Asia to European customers and have actually managed to obtain a judgment in the High Court of London rendering Lixang's sales of the PSP consoles unlawful. Because of this, Lixang have been put in the position that they can't accept any new orders, will have to refund and cancel all existing orders that have been placed and are now literally going under. So that is unfortunately the sad, sad demise of a very, very well-respected gaming company. Is there going to be any longer-term repercussions of this, though, with the PS3 and so on? Because that's something that people in Europe are going to want to get hold of a little bit early. Well, that's the big problem. Because of this ruling, that's now going to affect PlayStation 3 consoles and possibly Blu-ray players as well for the home cinema enthusiasts. Sony's argument was that because of the change in um, territories, there was an effect on the actual power supplies that were being supplied with the PSPs. They were claiming that the voltage change would effectively make uh, cause damage to the consoles if it was in a different territory. The only problem with Sony's argument is it's absolute rubbish. All the Sony PSPs ship with the standard 100 volt to 240 volt AC adapter. They all carry the same CE and other safety marks, which are used worldwide. I can actually state this from fact. I have a, a Canadian uh, PSP which I bought over in Canada, and I have a UK one, and they both have exactly the same AC adapter. So you don't have the same safety concerns that Sony will obviously be echoing that they're here to protect the customers, not just protect their own finances from uh, people being able to import goods cheaper than what they would be able to buy them direct from a Sony supplier. It, that's basically exactly the problem. That's what they're trying to enforce. They want people to buy from the home markets so that they can pay, unfortunately, an inflated price tag. But the argument they're using is erroneous, and anybody that's um, got a PSP from another territory, and like myself, I've actually got the two, can actually say, well, hang on a moment, that's that's rubbish, I've got both, they are identical. And, and to top it off even more so, some of Lixang's customers were actually European... Um, management from uh, Euro uh, Sony Europe and Sony UK so you've got actual Sony management buying PlayStation portables from Lixang from that for that very reason it, it just it stinks of hypocrisy and it's a very sad day for gamers around the world does it work then that um, some of these Sony executives would be importing goods illegally <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a nutshell that's exactly what's being said if they're saying that um, 
the actual company Lexang are, are selling these illegally, then obviously the Sony people are, buy, are knowingly buying these illegal things. There is an argument that they're buying them deliberately to prove the point, but that's unlikely, especially seeing as they were buying them on day release. They're indicting their own staff. They're not really covering themselves in glory on this one, are they? No, Sony have unfortunately walked away with a large amount of egg on their face and a hell of a lot of people that are close to this subject in terms of Lixang's customer base are very upset about it and if you read on Lixang's website lots of people have been posting saying effectively screw Sony, we're not buying PS3, we're going to buy Microsoft. Well moving on slightly, um, unfortunately I haven't had time to play anything this week, have you? Um, yes, and quite possibly for the rest of my natural life because I've got myself a copy of Football Manager 2007. Um, it's only out on the PC and the Mac at the moment. It'll be coming out on various consoles in the near future. But I, I couldn't wait till an Xbox 360 version came out. I had to go and get it. And it's awesome. It's one of, I don't know whether you're a Football Manager fan. I know a lot of people aren't. Definitely not, I'm afraid. I, I find uh, football management and football games in general completely boring. In which case, all my enthusiasm has certainly been lost. Because... I am a bit of a football manager fan, and this is very, very good. I don't know, well, you probably wouldn't know what last year's version was like, but last year's version was very good, and you kind of think it's going to be a cheap and easy cash-in, but they've made it better. You don't think they can, but they have. They've just tweaked little bits and pieces here and there, made the whole interaction with the game. You can talk to the players, you can, I don't know, almost live with them. It's ridiculous how much you can do with these guys now, and it's just, oh, it's superb. Plays as well as the game ever did game is always going to be a winner regardless. The in-game engine superb. Layout superb. But they just tweet it now so it feels, I don't know, you really are the manager without taking bungs on the side and tapping up players illegally and so on and so forth, obviously. Well, you said it was overhauled from last year's version. Has it been improved graphically, sonically? Any major tweaks or new well, features? When I say overhaul, it's not like being given a complete makeover. Um, it's still got kind of that nice glossy look to it. I mean, graphically you can't really go into any huge detail because it is pretty much just a big uh, list of windows that you open up. But it still it plays just the same. It plays quite well. It's very easy to get hold of um, all the information that you need. Um, and it's one of those kind of games that you can make it as complex as you need to because there is a lot of detail going into it. So you can pour over all these stats that you can get from the game now even more. You can get uh, more information on scouts, you can actually get feedback from players to give you even more information. But um, the thing that works with it is that it can work on a very simple level as well. So you could skip out a lot of the depth and the detail and the information that's in there. So you can just treat it as a few big, kind, clean, user-friendly screens that you can just get into, sit down, play some games and have some fun. So like I say, you've, you've had fun, what are you going to score this then? Uh, it, it's got to get a 9. I would give it a 10, but I know there's a lot of people that hate this kind of stuff. And Me I'm sure it, <laughs> And then if I give it a 10, it's like saying they can't make it any better next year. But I'm sure they will. So I'll have to give it a 9, and then yeah. give it a 9 again next year. So solid recommendation from you. Anybody who likes football management games is going to love Football Manager 2007. So that was your games, news and reviews for the week. I was Seth Gecko. And I was Ian Collin. And we'll see you guys next week. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. This week's roundtable discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. For this week's review roundtable, we've decided to delve into the world of horror for Halloween by giving you suggestions of movies to watch. And we'll start off with Kaz. Um, I'd probably suggest, if you wanted to scare yourself, something like the French thriller Hot Tension. 
uh, or, or high tension, obviously in English. Um, it's uh, it's quite unusual, and um, it, it has you thoroughly enthralled right from the get-go as to what exactly is going on and uh, just where it's going to lead up to in the end. It's got some uh, some excellent performances and some real thrills, and I, I highly recommend it. Um, of course, yeah, Cass, um Hosey Tension or Switchblade Romance, as it's known in this country and America. Yeah, it is a, a truly great movie. It's um, I wasn't fussed on the particular ending, which left a lot of people uh, a bit bemused, but certainly there's some really great set pieces in there some nasty gore as well. Unexpected. Uh, we've got a lot of horror porn at the moment, um, with Hostel and the likes of that kind of thing coming out, which is trying to reinvigorate the gory splatter movie. Hosey Tension, certainly at the time, was um, a lot gorier than what we'd seen of late. And uh, yeah, there's a few nasty, controversial moments in there. I thoroughly enjoyed it too. Of course, the director switch Switchblade Romance went on to do the remake of The Hills of Eyes um, from, was it this year? Um, it came out in the cinemas and just recently on DVD, which was a Wes Craven flick to start with. And Wes Craven is one of the sort of godfathers, if you like, of horror with um, Sean Cunningham and George Romero and so on and so forth. You know, they start to kick the ball off with uh, The Last House on the Left and so on and so forth. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see it go full circle from like Cassie's, you know, um, recommendation, really recent horror movie. And then the guy goes and does a homage to something from way back in the 70s. I, I personally really enjoyed the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. It was, um, I, I hadn't actually seen the original, so I guess I'm biased, as in all situations where you see a remake, but you haven't seen the original. You, you probably end up liking the remake, or in a lot of situations. Um, it was a, a, quite an unusual, quite a surprising horror in some places. Um, I didn't expect uh, half of the key characters to um, meet the important things that happened to them quite so early on in the movie. So it was, um, it was thoroughly enjoyable. So what about some classic horror for those who want a bit of a n- nostalgic fright at this Halloween? Yeah, uh, well, classic horror, of, of course. I mean, you can go back to the, the vintage movies, uh, the Universal Spook Fests, um, Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster, Bela Lugosi and all that. Uh, they're nice, cosy chillers, really. Um, but if you move up through the decades, of course, you know, genres be changed and embraced the changing times. And uh, Hammer, of course, um, British iconic Hammer Studios. Um, tremendous, uh, low-budget, quickly-made movies, which were fast, dynamic, colourful, lurid, and pushed the boundaries of... Uh, of what was you know accepted in in those times, a lot more heaving cleavage, a lot more blood. That the famous Kensington Gore, which was a bit too bright, but uh, always looked pretty good on screen. Um, and of course, they made some actual classics. They did, of course, the Frankenstein and Dracula remakes, um, and the Mummy, and a a lot of, a slew of great Victorian um, period pieces, gothic horrors. But they also did quite a lot of um, sci-fi stuff as well. Let's not forget the Quatermass movies. Maybe sci-fi, but they're quite spooky too. Quatermass Experiment, Quatermass 2, and then the best one of all, Andrew Keir as um, Professor Quatermass in Quatermass in the Pit from the early 60s. An absolutely wonderful movie with a very clever clever idea which brought in our beliefs in the devil, um, mingled with interplanetary invasions of of, of our world. Um, 
some tremendously spooky moments of alien possession, and it's it's just a it's a rocking good movie. I thoroughly enjoy it. But I was going to say you you can carry on. You know, for sort of you could go on the the sixties with uh, the hammers, and you go sixty eight, sixty nine. Uh, which I mentioned, Romero, which is Night of the Living Dead, you know, the zombie classic movie, really. A couple of years fast forward onto that, uh, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, again, America pushing the boundaries of horror for, for, for that, that particular thing. And then you've got things like Black Christmas as well. So with those three movies, they're really kind of defining moments in, in horror because they're pushing the boundaries. You've got the gore, you've got the psychological effects of Texas Chainsaw, which is very implied gore. A lot of people thought they saw a hell of a lot more than was actually on screen. Um, and Black Christmas was the beginning of uh, the, the stalk and slash um, genre. Um, yeah, of course, yeah, the stalk and slash genre, which is um, so intrinsic to horror, because it really started back in the 60s with a lot of Italian movies. Um, and then, of course, John Carpenter took it by the scruff of the neck, made it more accessible, made it, if anything, made it even more stylish with Halloween. Of course, Halloween then gave itself up to a slew of sequels of diminishing returns and rip-offs, and, which are ongoing even to this day. Um, Except for Halloween 3, which no one mentions. Halloween 3, which is a great film. Weird, but great. And it's got a lot of... It's actually got a bit of Quatermass thrown into that as well. Nigel Neal apparently wrote the script for it, didn't he? That's that's very true. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the 80s were, was quite a, a, an interesting time when it comes to horror as well, wasn't it? The 80s, well, technology had moved on. All of a sudden, we were having more audacious special effects. Of course, uh, American Werewolf, the transformations in that, and the howling, tremendously good films. The effects in those films and The Thing, again, weren't just in and of themselves, they helped the story as well. For the first time ever in American Wealth, you saw someone transform from a human being into a werewolf. The bone-popping, skin-ripping um, effects, you know, they still stand the test of time even today when you watch them. So all of a sudden, effects, the horror could be shown um, in a lot more of a visual way. So long gone, it seemed, were the days of Val Luton, the old, implied, scary stuff, mood, atmosphere, and in, in came the, well, the splatter genre, really, which, of course, you could always say was headed up by the likes of the Evil Dead, Sam Raimi. Yeah, there was quite a few visceral movies, if you think about it, in that kind of, you know, the 80s, you know, you, you've said the Evil Dead, which was, you know, the video nasty that kick-started that. Um, you've got Driller Killer, um, allegedly a, a really nasty movie. I never saw the fuss, but, you know... Um, there's nothing in it, it is there? Not really, but that's, it's amazing what people think. Not even um, a very good film. You've got the you know the, the cannibal holocausts. You've got um, Nightmare on Elm Street, which sort of revigorated uh, Craven, um, which again stalk and slash, but plenty of splatter there. You go and, on a, to... and a whole lot of imagination too. That that film took things again in a different direction. All of a sudden, it brought in the whole effect of surrealism as well in a mainstream horror movie with teens who were in trouble, in peril, the old genre staple, and uh, but it injected so much new uh, imaginative effects and ideas that it just, again, the genre was given a huge big kickstart. That's it. I mean, you still get, like I say, the, with the splatter type movies, they, they made a much more visual medium. Not just, I mean, you've t you know, the blood and gore. Take things like Reanimator, which was pretty creative, um, a bit of a spin on zombies. Um, From Beyond, which was sort of S&M Lovecraft. Um, yeah. Society, 
which people forget about, which is a real cult yeah. classic. Screaming um, Mad George is the fact in that. That's it. You know, it was it for the for for eighty minutes of the, for the movie. It was pretty, you know, uh, easy going. It was um, a satire, wasn't it? And then all of a sudden, it, and then it went into that huge kind of orgy. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, quite pretty repulsive, even by you know today's standards, really. Outlandish stuff, wasn't it? Very entertaining, though. Of course, at the same time, I mean, you mentioned there about uh, the Evil Dead being the video nasty. You had the infamous video nasty craze. Um, a lot of these films gained a huge amount of notoriety, not because they were any good, just because they appeared on a UK list of videos to be taken from shelves. A lot of prosecutions were made. The Obscenity Act was um, endorsed in a lot of cases. And uh, it, it just created an outlet for a lot of avid, goal-loving young fans to go and pursue what ended up being completely naff, crass-made, usually Italian or um, or French or you know certainly European movies or Z-grade American drive-in dross, and it, it just it just fueled uh, a passion for for gory, repulsive movies. Which I have to say that you know I certainly was part and parcel of all that as well. I mean, the the, the advent of getting a video. What was the first thing you saw on video? Well, I got on a video when I was 11 years old, and the first thing I saw was the exterminator and scanners. You know, heads exploding and lots of other gratuitous violence in the exterminator. Yeah, of course, you say videotape. First thing mm. I think of is Videodrome. Videodrome, David Cronenberg, again, a guy who has uh, shaped the entire genre in, in totally bizarre directions. You know, Videodrome is a great, great movie, but he did a lot of effective stuff even before that. Rabid, uh, which a lot of people just sort of write off as a, a rip-off of Romero's stuff. Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a clever film. It's using pulp action and, you know, a contagion being spread in a rather nasty way. But it's also totally, thoroughly intermingled with Cronenberg's, you know, obsession with body horror and medical atrocities. And, uh, of course, the, the Brood, he followed it up with The Brood. Again, a film that's very, very underrated, very powerful, very frightening film. And while we're on the subject of frightening stuff and frightening scenes, again, in The Brood, does anyone remember the scene of Oliver Reed trying to rescue the girl at the end from the um, evil dwarf progeny of um, the insane mind of, of, of the girl in the movie? Uh, I do, actually, mostly because I've got both. Of the, I've got The Brood and uh, uh, Rabbit on um DVD. I got a, a UK twin pack, which is yeah. apparently uncut. I mean, it was a, no, the, it was a the, bargain for a tenner. So, <laughs> Anchor Bay put out a, it was a double disc version of the, of the Brood with the American uncut version and the UK. But it's, there's not a great deal of difference, to be honest. So, guys, you've talked about some real classic movies there, and for anybody that's listening and that maybe hasn't seen these films and have now listened to what you guys have got to say and want to go and hunt them down, which direction would you point them in for DVD-wise for those those movies? Well. I've got to recommend Suspiria, Dario Argento's surrealist nightmare masterpiece from the 70s. Of course, you can pick up the uh, Region 1 three-disc version, which has the sound, the nightmarish soundtrack on it as well from the Italian rock group Goblin. It's THX Master, DTS-ES sound on it. The picture, the sound quality is absolutely ravishing. I would also recommend Jaws. We haven't talked about Jaws. A lot of versions of it on DVD at the moment, but the... 30th anniversary one is a truly gobsmacking one. The Region 1 edition with the, uh, the photo booklet as well. Again, DTS sound. People always argue about the DTS on an old movie which didn't have surround sound channels. But the DTS on this really works well, I think. To cap it all off, again, an- another huge trend-setting um, release. 
um, George Romero's Ultimate Edition of Dawn of the Dead, which has probably more versions of, it, of his own movie than anything else I can think of. It's a great box set. It has all sorts in it. Uh, loads of comedy tracks. Good, good fun box set. The different versions. There's different gore effects in it. There's different scenes in the Italian one to the American one to the UK one. But overall, it is the definitive box set until the inevitable high-definition version comes out. I'll go with the... Uh, I've, we've already covered um, in the last podcast or so um, my absolute enthusiasm for Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, it is probably my favourite horror movie. Um, they've just released the two-disc set. Go and buy it. You won't be disappointed. You've got the two-disc version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Ultimate Edition, which came out in September on Region 1 DVD. Um, it has some excellent documentaries, um, and probably the best transfer for that movie, if you're a huge fan. Um, I, I go to Cronenberg automatically, so you've got uh, things like um, Rabid, Scanners, um, Videodrome, the Criterion Edition, um, all worth well worth checking out on Region 1 or uh, as I said I got the uncut version on Region 2 for um, Rabbit and that came with the brood for like 9.99 so a bit of a bargain there as well if, if you find it um, those are the sort of things I would probably be recommending from uh, the 70s and the 80s of course if you want to look for um, uh, things like Last House on the Left which you know kickstarted the genre you've got Black Christmas which is coming out uh, very soon um, on Region 1 in a special edition. That is really the the, the beginning of the stalk and slash. Um, in America, anyway, uh, an, another excellent movie. So there's quite a range of uh, uh, of things there. And, you know, the seminal Evil Dead, it just has to be done. Uh, moving on uh, into more recent years, and you've got um, you've got the, the whole Scream trilogy that brought back... Uh, well, brought horror, I guess, back into the limelight. Um, arguably not great towards the end. The, the first movie certainly uh, gave us something new to tangle with and, um, in a way, took horror in a different direction. I think there's a, a Japanese uncut edition floating around with more gore, but most people should settle for the Region 1 Special Edition. And just recently, I got a hold of the uh, Event Horizon box set, the one that comes in the the lovely case that looks like a ship out of, well, the ship, the Event Horizon itself, out of the movie. That's sci-fi horror, of course, and it's actually pretty gory, and um, I, I found it thoroughly enjoyable. Um, there's plenty of uh, modern horrors which copy from films in the past, but if you pick and choose, you can find uh, nice ones here and there, like Hills Have Eyes, which has come out in Region 2. Um, there are a lot of different versions of high tension, hot tension, switchblade romance. There a lot of different versions floating around, but um, all in all, they're all pretty gory, and um, and I would recommend any of those. Of course, when you're talking about you know the, the more modern classics, there's a lot of remakes, and as uh, Kaz has pointed out, the Hills of Eyes remake. You've also got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which is actually quite good. Um, it's a lot more gory, and it's actually you know quite tense. They could have really, really ruined it. A lot of people say, "Ah, oh, the original's best," but you know, give the give the remake a try. It's it is very good. I've uh, got to agree with you there on the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, although it's not as powerful as the original, obviously, uh, but it did it brought us in a whole new character, Liami's character, of of the corrupt and vile sheriff, and he's absolutely one of the, one of the most nastiest creations in the whole Texas Chainsaw uh, family. 
he was he was amazing, and of course again they've just brought out the uh, the prequel, haven't they? Uh, which I've not had the fortune to have seen yet, but uh, he's in that as well apparently. Looking yeah, forward the, to it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. The beginning, the birth of Leatherface. Yeah. Of course, there are um, the horror movies that aren't horror movies. The kind of the horror comedies. Yeah, Evil Dead Two is one of my favourites on this one. Oh, very, Evil very Dead slapstick. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't like slapstick as a, as comedy, but the, the you know Evil Dead Two is just so nicely played out. Um, you've got uh, of of all things the really creaky old House trilogy, which was a horror comedy. Um, as much well, as you House the first one was very good. House two was. But from what I can remember, and I've got it as well, it was, it was air completely gross, lame. Wasn't it? Yeah, air gross. Not a very gross film, though, sadly. Um, and House 3, the horror show with Lance Henriksen, the great Lance Henriksen, that was a, a really nasty one of Emma Rightly. Again, I've got that too, but I haven't watched it in such a long time. I'll have to dig it out. So we're going from sci-fi horror, and we've covered classic horror, and the 80s. So... What else would you recommend um, that our listeners go out and try and sample this Halloween? And I know one of you is going to say Asian horror. You've got to say Asian horror. Well, there is, of course, the the Ring trilogy, or Ringu, and uh, and its sequels. Uh, that's got to be one of the most innovative recent Asian horrors. It spawned endless copies, both in Asia and now... Over here, where we just seem intent on remaking every single one of the movies. But uh, I love the original Ring trilogy. It's fantastic. Uh, certainly the first and second movies in the part stand out as being an excellent new addition to the whole horror genre. Now, are you talking about the American remakes, or are you talking about the original? Sorry, I'm, I'm definitely talking about the original movies. The, the uh, original Japanese movies, that they didn't have the CGI and the special effects, or they didn't use the CGI and the special effects to the same extent that we have in our remake versions, but they used a twisted variation on the horror we've come to expect from before, relying not so much on blood, but on uh, weird noises and people moving in strange ways and uh, that kind of effect to disturb you rather than just out and out um, shock you with horror. And, uh, and I think that the Ring, the Ring trilogy, certainly the first two parts of the Ring trilogy, as the third one is just a prequel, which is, in my opinion, inferior to them, um, they're just superior movies. They, they stand alone um, as modern horrors, and it's a shame that Hollywood has decided to botch remaking them. I also uh, agree with you there completely, yeah. Um, again, the, the Ring, Ringu movies, their mood, atmosphere... Designed totally to uh, unnerve you. Uh, very disquieting, very disturbing movies. The American versions are are, are woeful. They, they really, really are annoying. Of course, you, you know you're you're going on about the ring, and uh, you you are to a degree kind of deifying it, making it sound like it is the pinnacle of you know J horror movies. There are a lot of other ones out there. You know, let's not forget the sort of the next big franchise. You've got Dion, which is the the Grudge, which was again uh, remade with uh, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, or, uh, or better known as Buffy. Which, while it works to a degree as a, even as a remake, it's not as good as the original or the sequel for, uh, in terms of the movie. Um, the the remake just doesn't work for me because 
unfortunately, because uh, Geller was cast as Buffy for so long, you're trying to think to yourself that you know she's really scared and fragile and all that, and we've seen her for seven years, you know, kick vampires left, right, and centre. So from uh, a stereotyped viewpoint, it doesn't work. It's not quite as creepy or as unsettling either as the originals. So you know, if people want to check those out, the originals would be a really good place to start with. Uh, you've got um, things like uh, Tale of Two Sisters. Um, Old Boy is a horror, um, regardless of what a lot of people think. It is technically a horror. Um, See, that's, that's very interesting to hear you say that, because um, I've heard the same thing, people quoting Old Boy as a horror movie. But I'm... Um, I don't see it as such at all. It's it's certainly dark and demented and a, a very crazed sort of film uh, with a narrative that just throws you a wobbler every five minutes. Something completely out of the blue happens um, and it's got one of the most crushing and painful uh, twist endings that I've ever come across. It literally left me damaged and reeling from that for quite some one time. One that was horrifying, Chris. An ending that well, was horrifying. No, well... Uh, Plenty of films can be horrifying uh, without being a horror movie. Saving Private Ryan has plenty of literally horrifying um, imagery in that, and the theme of it is horrifying in itself. War is not pleasant. Old Boy, it, take, it, it takes a whole mismatch of, um, of genres and throws them all together, and they just see what, see what they come up with, and it, it works. It hangs together really well, as does the entire um, Vengeance trilogy. See, I wouldn't go that the, the, the entire Vengeance trilogy are, hor are horrors as such, but I would say that Oldboy is, basically because of the the, the Vengeance. Uh, I won't spoil this for anybody who hasn't seen it, and if you haven't seen it, why are you listening to this? Go out and buy it. it, it it's the ending is, and the actual Vengeance theme is not where you think it's taking you until you get right to the end, and then all the little bits of the puzzle start uh, uh, fitting yeah. in. And this is the bit where Kaz gets his own back on me and says, oh, I don't agree with you either. No, I, I, uh, I think I can see how um, a psychological drama uh, of the extreme sense of old boy, it could go and fall into the horror genre. I just never looked at it that way, but I don't disagree. Guys, moving things on, we seem to have gone through nearly all of the different countries and the different types of horror movies that are out there. Uh, let's just finish it off with those people who, yeah, they, they want the odd scare here and there, but they like to have a laugh as well. Uh, horror comedies, where will you go with that? Well, you've got to go straight for Shaun of the Dead, I think, because uh, Shaun of the Dead has... I've never particularly liked the idea of uh, mixing horror and comedy because horror is supposed to horrify you, but Shaun of the Dead takes a, a really thoroughly gory, gore-fest horror movie and throws in just non-stop laughs. It's absolutely superb production, and yeah. um, I'm really looking forward to Simon Pegg's next effort which looks really good for cop, for the whole cop genre. have to agree there. Shaun of the Dead is a great, great film. Um, the laughs are you know, <laughs> plentiful, the gore is extreme, and it works. It's hard to make a horror comedy work, but that one does its job. American Werewolf is, is a comedy as well. The laughs work, the horror is extremely frightening. But for actual chuckles and guffaws, I would have to opt for Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein, one of the most respectful comedies and, and lampooning films that, are, that I've come across. It looks fantastic. It's, it's got the gothic atmosphere, the old universals. The script is dazzlingly witty. It's got some great set pieces to it. It really, it's a great homage. It's a great comedy in its own right, and I fully recommend it. So for those people who have high-def DVD players, either Blu-ray or, or HD DVD, 
what can we recommend to them that's available on the format? Basically, the first two movies that spring to my mind um, are Land of the Dead, George A. Romero's full uh, zombie movie. Nowhere near as good as Dawn or Day, um, but still good fun. And on HD, it's not too bad looking. It's not brilliant. Um, it's a, a combo disc. Um, it's not too shabby as a movie. It, it's probably going to grow on me. I would like Day of the Dead basically did. But in uh, the initial is kind of, yeah. Um, you've got um, Evil Dead 3, you know, the uh, medieval dead, Army of Darkness. That's oh, also dear. out on HD DVD. Unfortunately, it's as a, again, combo flipper. Um, the picture quality of the Army of Darkness, sadly, is pretty bad. Um, it is very grainy. Uh, it's been grainy on virtually every incarnation I've seen, be it VHS, DVD, or HD DVD. It does look a lot sharper, and for now it will be the best version we'll have. But it, it's not uh, a very great for the format, but it's still a fun movie. Uh, but Seth, I believe you've got um, a real horror classic there on HD, haven't you? I do indeed. I uh, received The Thing on uh, HD DVD this weekend, and it is, um, I know, from, you know it's one of your favourite horror movies. I, I've got a soft spot for Carpenter as well. I, I can forgive him, you know, um, almost his, for the bit of the <laughs> I can oh, almost. Dear. The Thing on HD DVD is, is a tough one. Because you you want to say it, it looks great and amazing and so on and so forth, but it's an old film. Um, I, I've been trying to think of the year. I want to say it's sort of around 1982. It was released. I, I was going to say 82. I wasn't 100 percent sure. So you're you're talking a 24 year old movie. So how's it going to you know, shape up on DVD? Um, especially as sometimes we see these uh, movies, you know, such as the transfer of Fifth Element. We see the transfer of. Um, Army of Darkness, which we mentioned, which don't look very good on the format, and, and that was one of the things that was going to worry me. Are we going to see something that's incredibly sharp, but we're going to have dust specks, and uh, and it's going to look awful? And the answer well, before, is, before you give us the verdict, no. I mean, <laughs> this movies he have always looked really good on DVD, um, and the thing, and I, I watched that film quite a lot. I've seen it again recently as I wait for my HD version to arrive. I detect um, jealousy. A lot of jealousy, mate. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm champing at the bit. That'll be the first thing I watch on HD. Um, but Very watching true. the standard DVD again in its original non-anamorphic form, that still looks really, really clear. Very clean. Absolutely no damage at all to it. It's a, and again, you know, it's a showcase for the contrast. You've got so many um, dark elements to it. You've got so many light elements with the snow and the ice, and often combined, and it. It's always looked good, so I'm really, really... I can't wait to hear how it looks. Well, on HD DVD, it actually looks very, very good. Now, I, I, I will admit that I sort of did a bit of boning up on this before it arrived, and I was bit, I, a little bit worried about how it was going to look, because everyone's going, oh, it's not that great, it's not the best HD DVD out there. Well, let's be honest, it's a 24-year-old film. It's never going to look as good as Batman Begins. Having said that, it does look very, very good. We're talking incredibly well-saturated um, colours. The, 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 the blood and the, sort of the, the monster itself looks spot-on. Oh, um, great. The, the, the snow is bright white, you know, um, and it's very, very sharp. Now, I have two versions of the DVD. I've got the original one, and then they brought it out again, didn't they? The special edition where they gave it a better transfer. Um, it beats those hands down. It is really good. There's no dust, no dirt specs, nothing. It looks brilliant. So, if you're expecting, you know, Batman Begins or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory type HD, you know, amazingness, 
you know, move on, there's nothing to see here. If you're prepared to forgive it, the fact that it will never get to those dizzying standards, because we're talking a, a 24-year-old movie here, it is absolutely wonderful and gorgeous to look at. The other side of the coin is you've got the soundtrack. Now, I've never been impressed with, uh, as I've said, sort of the mono stereo soundtracks being up, uh, converted to like 5.1. Um, and I'm still not 100% sure on this. There are the, some really great moments where there's, uh, as you'll probably know, Chris, in the DVD, where the helicopter flies overhead. Yeah. yeah. And it pans nicely from front to back, uh, back to front, rather. You also um, have the, uh, the the lovely unearthly whale at the, uh, of the thing when it's in the, the dog compound and McCready yeah. hears it, which That's should it. reach it's... around the room. Which it does. But, like I say, there is a bit of me that sometimes you want to hear a mono soundtrack still in mono, and you want to hear a stereo soundtrack still in stereo, and you don't want to hear these up-converted ones. So, um, and whereas I was really infused with the uh, Elm Street DVD DTS mix, I'm still jury is out on this one. Mm. Um, if, you liked, if, you, if you liked the DVD 5.1 mix, you're going to like this. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it at all. It, it's not exactly a, sh a showcase for them, surround, zippy surround effects. Um, but it, it certainly brought the atmosphere of a... Uh, but, but that's the whole point. With the, the, the actual movie itself doesn't really need to be an audition for no, it a surround no, sound. Right. It just needs to keep your attention and drag you in and just make you feel sort of semi-unsettled, I suppose. Because it is quite an unsettling movie in some of the graphic detail. Um, and it does that well. But suffice to say, if you've got HD DVD and you're looking for a good horror movie, just go and grab this because it, it, it's, it's brilliant. It really is. Yep, and I can't wait for my version to turn up. Well, thanks to Kaz, Chris and Seth, and that's been our Halloween Roundtable for 2006. For real AV talk, this is the AV Podcast. And that wraps up this week's Movies and Games edition of the AV Podcast. Don't forget to enter the fantastic competitions to win Creature Comforts, Atomized and Little Britain the quiz on DVD. Head over to avforums.com forward slash competitions. And if you would like to leave feedback, you can post in the podcast area at avforums.com, send us an email to podcast at avforums.com or leave a voice message on 0208 123 9587. Jason. Thanks, Phil. And that wraps up this week's AV podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. The audiovisual news was written by John Archer. Original music by Andrew Bassett. The AV player review team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The gaming news and reviews were presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. The AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV podcast is copyright M2N Limited.